You're listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. That last scene you saw, the gentleman there, his name is Pastor Simi. He pastors the local church that's there on uh, this little little bitty small community in the heart of the island that we work on, and it's called T. Palmies. And his church was destroyed um, by Hurricane Matthew in the fall. Hurricane came through, destroyed the roof, and they went to take the roof off. The entire structure pretty much just collapsed in on itself. So when we got there, it was, the, it was just a concrete slab. And we took 12 people down there um, who, we don't know how to build no roof. I mean, and, and we built us a roof. And um, to watch Pastor Simi's excitement grow as we moved throughout the week and his joy began to just return. And knowing that today, I'm believing. His church was about 50 or 60 people before the roof caved in and then people thought it wasn't safe and began to kind of get scared to come and worship and it had dwindled down to next to nothing. And to watch our team work really, really hard to put that together. And now I believe today, this morning at some point, my heart was just for Pastor Simi. And just knowing that if there was one more person that worship because they had a roof today and we did a great thing. But it, yeah, celebrate that, man. But it's, you go to a country like that when you're from a country like ours. And it's easy to look around and see the conditions that people live in and, and, and pity them. Like that's kind of your natural kind of gut reaction is just almost feel pity for them. And we got a small taste of their experience. I mean, uh, you know, for, for three nights, for four days, we actually camped on the build site and there's, there's no electricity, there's no running water. Um, to go to the bathroom, you have to go Mortal Kombat on co- cockroaches bigger than you can believe. Um, it's, it's, it's intense. And this is like their reality. Uh, I mean, this is what they live in. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And so it's really easy when you come from where we come from to look at them and just believe, how can people live like this? I mean, it's just based on our frame of reference, and it's really, really easy to pity them. But can I just say, like, as we've come back and I've prayed and just sought God for what he wanted to teach me, that I, I almost believe we're the ones to be pitied. Because see, you know why we pity them? Because we look and we, don't, we, we see that they don't have the conveniences and comfort that we have. And so we pity them. Right? I mean, ultimately that's why we feel sorry for the people of Haiti. Because we look and they don't have the conveniences and the comfort that we have. And because they lack those conveniences and those comforts, we believe that they, are, they should be pitied. And I think the reason why is because our culture, but even some of the ways, we've been in a series called This, Not That, some of the ways that we interpret Scripture. And there's, there, I think there's a specific Scripture or Scriptures like this one that calls us to get into this place where we feel like we have a right to pity them because they lack these things. This is a verse that probably, if, if you grew up in the church, you're, you're familiar with it. It's probably crocheted on a pillow in your grandma's house. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. 
Because see, I think we as, as especially Americans, what, the way we've interpreted that is God said we're going to prosper. So that means we should never experience any inconvenience or any discomfort. Come on. That like if, if we're going to prosper, that means everything's always going to be convenient and comfortable. And so that's become like our expectation and our pursuit. Like, I, won't, I, I don't ever want to be inconvenienced, and I don't ever want to be uncomfortable. And so much of our life's pursuits and the decisions that we make and the time and energy we put into these things is so that we can erase inconvenience from our lives and only experience comfort. Come on, somebody. Like, that's, I, that's the way we've interpreted that scripture somehow. Like, like if we're going to prosper, that means God's not going to let us go through anything inconvenient, and we should never be uncomfortable. And because God call, has, has promised us prosperity, then anything that resembles poverty, we should never have to experience. You think about most of the frustrations you experienced this week. Most of the tension in your relationships, in your home, in your office, your road rage is because somewhere along the way somebody is inconveniencing you. They're threatening your time because you're in a hurry and you got things to do. You think about it. Can we, can we, can I just, maybe it's just me. I'll be honest about myself. Most of the things in my life that I worry about and get frustrated with are things that are just inconvenient. They don't threaten my health. They're not really going to change my life, but they're going to make me a little bit two minutes later than I was going to be. Or it's going to cost me $5 more than I thought it would. Or it's, it, it's just inconvenience. Or it's comfort. And so we look at people like Haiti, and because they lack those conveniences and those comforts, we pity them. But can I just say that I think convenience and comfort are quickly becoming an enemy to our culture. And threatening us from really experiencing the kind of prosperity that God desires for us. Because when we get to this place where all of our energy and all of our pursuit is to avoid con uh, inconvenience and to set ourselves up for comfort, that rarely can we truly be following God the way he desires us to follow him. And that we exchange the things of God for convenience and comfort. And if anything that God wants us to do or calls us to do or is challenging us to pursue, if it's not convenient or it's not comfortable, then it ain't happening. And it's causing us to head down a dangerous path as a culture. And I would submit to you that because of our inconvenience and our comfort and these things like that, that, that we should be pitied. And convenience and comfort are standing in the way of God really being able to do some amazing things among us. As I thought about that, I thought about a story that you're familiar with because I think in, in this man's life, this whole concept is on full display. It's the story of Jonah. Yep, Jonah. Y'all know Jonah. You watched the VeggieTales video when you were little. And you know, it's funny that, that we watched that video and you know what, we don't really get the true, we don't get to glean the truth from his story that we need to. And if you don't know the story, maybe you didn't grow up in the church, all you know is just Jonah was swallowed by a whale. It, it actually, what's crazy is it's in this book called the Bible called Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. 
Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, you know, there are times in our lives when we, we choose to be disobedient to God because, or we, we act in disobedience to God because maybe we're not, he's not clear enough, right? You ever had those moments when you're wrestling with, all right, what is God really calling me to do? But Jonah do, doesn't have that excuse, right? I mean, God's pretty clear. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. So, you know, most of us be like, God, what do you want me to do? And, you know, there's times that, you know, what we're looking for clarity from God when he's just waiting for courage from us. That, like, Jonah didn't need God to clarify what he was saying. He was very clearly saying, Jonah, there's a specific city that I want you to go to, and there's a specific thing that I want you to do when you get there. God's calling could not have been clearer. And, you know, I know there's times in our lives when we're trying to decipher what does God want from me, what is he calling me to do, and I'm trying to figure out this. But can I just submit to you, in my own life, most often I know exactly what God wants from me. I just don't always have the courage to do it. Anybody else with me? It's not that you don't know. It's not that God's not being clear. It's that what he's calling you to do maybe is inconvenient and uncomfortable. And so you say, I'm just going to need to pray about that for a while. <laughs> but it was clear. And look how Jonah responds. Verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah hears God's calling, and instead of following it, actually, if you even look at this geographically on a map, he went the very opposite direction. <laughs> not only did he not go to Nineveh, he went as far away from Nineveh as you can get. When, jo Jonah, Jonah, when Jonah runs, he runs good. And some of us have done the same thing, right? Not, not, we're not just going to kind of go maybe a parallel path to what God wants for us. We're going to go the other way. And if you keep reading the story, Jonah ends up getting on a boat and he's heading in the opposite direction of where God had called him to go. But here's the thing we got to know is you can't outrun God. You can run from him if you want to, but God's, God's reach is pretty long. God's calling doesn't have an expiration date. So even though Jonah was disobedient and running the other way, God was still pursuing him. And he gets on this boat, and a storm begins to brew. <laughs> a violent, powerful, scare even grown men to death kind of storm. And the guys, on, there's, there's other people on this boat with Jonah, and they're freaking out, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and it gets to the point where the storm is raging so bad that they have to start dumping weight. They're like, we got to get some of the weight off this boat, because if we don't, we're going to sink. And no matter what they do, it's like the storm gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and finally Jonah realizes, like, this is my fault. It's a good reminder that your disobedience to God will always affect other people. There's times we run from God and we think, well, I, I, I'm just hurting myself. It, it's just me. Nobody's going to care. Or no, it's not going to matter but me. But disobedience has a ripple effect. And when we're disobedient to God, we, it's not, that's not something that just allows to have an impact on just us. It affects people around us. And Jonah got to experience that full way and he finally realizes, it's me. Guys, throw me over. 
And he didn't have to argue with him very long. Okay. They throw him overboard. And the waters begin to calm. And the story gets kind of weird. God sends a big whale and swallows Jonah up. And there's a lot of people that are skeptical about Scripture think, that's crazy. I agree. But I figure God created the whale. He can make it do what he wants to do. So for three days and three nights, Jonah spends some time in the belly of a great big fish. That'll make you do some thinking. And finally, after three days, he spit upon the shore. And Jonah prays this prayer. And then verse 3, I mean chapter 3 of verse 1, verse 1 in chapter 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah's been disobedient. He's run, but his calling has not gone away. And once again, he's got to wrestle with what's he going to do. Is he going to be obedient this time? Is he going to try to keep running? Is he going to hope maybe the whale and the whole ship thing was maybe just a, you know, an anomaly and maybe it won't happen this time? But verse 3 of chapter 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And then if you drop down to verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So here's, here's Jonah. He finally obeys the calling of God. He finally surrenders to what God had caused him to do. And God had said, go to this city and tell them, like, if they don't turn from their ways, if they don't look towards me, if they don't put their faith and trust and believe, and if things don't change, then, like, calamity is coming on their city. It's going to be bad. And so Jonah is a preacher, and he goes for three days throughout the city, basically proclaiming God's message. And here's what's crazy. The people do it. Now, as a preacher, I'd be excited. When you preach a message and people do it, it's, it's rare and it's awesome. So you think like Jonah would be on cloud nine. Like I follow God's calling. I was obedient. I preached the word. And these people obeyed and God saved them. But you got to read chapter four to get a glimpse of what's really in Jonah's heart. Chapter four, verse one. People have changed. God spared lives. Thousands of lives have been saved because Jonah was obedient and preached the word. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah got issues. What a weird way to respond to a very effective missionary journey. Jonah goes, preaches the word, the people listen, the people change their life, God saves lives. He says, I'd just be better off dying. Some of y'all thinking, like, this doesn't make sense. 
Well, there's some things you got to understand. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And at the time, Assyria was a mortal enemy to Jonah's native Israel. If Assyria rose to power, if Assyria was powerful and blessed and prospered, Jonah was worried that they could pose a threat to Israel. Therefore, effectively opposing a threat to his way of life. See, Jonah reveals his hesitation. He, d- he didn't refuse to be obedient to God in the beginning because he was worried that he wouldn't be effective. He didn't refuse because he was scared that people wouldn't respond. He refused because he believed and knew that God was awesome and gracious and compassionate. And if he was, then Nineveh would be saved, could rise to power, could actually someday be a threat to Israel, therefore efficiently, effectively being a threat to him. And maybe a threat to the conveniences and comfort he enjoyed as a citizen of Israel. What happens when convenience and comfort become more important than calling and compassion? Do you see, that's exactly what Jonah was trading in this moment. His own convenience and his own comfort had taken precedent over God's calling and compassion for other people. Church, how often do we make that exchange? So you think, Matt, you really read into this. Well, let me, well, let me let's keep going. Pick up verse four. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Verse five, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. That's the first time Jonah had been happy in the whole story. When? When he's out there sitting in this field, watch what's happened, and God allows a plant to grow up and give him shade. In other words, God just provided something that would ease his inconvenience and give him comfort. First time he's been happy the whole time. Thousands of people just got saved. He ain't happy. He gets a little shade tree. He's ecstatic. Do you see where his heart is? Do you see what's at play in the whole story? Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and again said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Why? Because now it's inconvenient and uncomfortable once again. He's showing what matters most to him. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And listen, it is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Look at verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. God says, 
you are more broken over the loss of this plant than 120,000 people who would have died if you had not been obedient. We pity them, I pity us. Because I think we make the same exchange that Jonah made. That we spend our entire lives doing everything we can to avoid inconvenience and to stay comfortable when God's calling and, 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 and compassion for other people require us to give up those things. I'm not going to lie. There were times when we were on this site that I was overwhelmed and thought we had bitten off more than we can chew or more than anything thinking, you know what? You know, th there were moments on this trip, I'm, just to be honest with you, where I wanted off of that site. And I wasn't concerned about whether or not the roof was built. I wasn't thinking about the future of that church. I was desperately missing the conveniences and comfort that I was used to. And my desire to quit and my desire to give up on the project most often came when those desires to no longer be inconvenienced of not being able to shower, no longer the inconveniences of so much of what was going on there, and no longer dealing with the lack of comfort we were having. I was wanting to trade that over God's calling and compassion for the people that we left behind. And the more I look at my life, so much of it is driven by trying to avoid the inconvenient things and remain comfortable. And I don't want my life to be driven by that anymore. I want my life to be driven by calling and compassion because a life driven by calling com and, com and compassion will change the world. It'll make an eternal impact. And it will be so rewarding. The last year has been a really hard year for me because I've been spending so much energy trying to build us a church. And isn't it ironic that in a year that I can't get, make that happen, we go to Haiti and build somebody a church. God has a sense of humor. <laughs> but can I be honest? You know why I really want to build us a church is because it'd be more convenient. More comfortable. But today, I don't care about that as much. Because his calling and compassion for other people matter more. So I just wonder, maybe, you're, maybe are you like me? That compassion and calling aren't driving your life. They're not shaping how you make decisions or how you spend money or what you worry about or how you approach relationships. That so much of your life is dominated by, will this be more convenient? Will this make me more comfortable? And maybe it's time to have that inconvenient conversation. Or step out in that uncomfortable place and see what God does. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me?
I don't know what you need to do with this. I don't know how you need to respond. I don't know what God wants to do with what we've been talking about this morning in your own life. I want to give you one chance to respond. We had planned baptisms for today, and so we're going to continue that. We baptized two in first service. And maybe that's the inconvenient and uncomfortable step that you need to take today is to go public with your faith through baptism. Maybe it's really inconvenient and uncomfortable because you didn't come here today planning to do that, but you know that's what God's calling you to do. We have everything you need to be obedient to that. We have shirts and shorts and towels and everything. So if that's your step, if that's what you need to do today, would you do me a favor? Would you just stand up right where you are, head out those back doors. A couple of our pastors are going to meet you there to give you instructions. If that's you, don't hesitate. Yeah, it's inconvenient. Yeah, you're figuring, well, I'm going to get home. I'm going to be all wet. I've got to go to lunch. Just be obedient to that. If you're called to 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 get baptized, to go public with your faith today. Walk through those doors. There will be a couple of our pastors who will meet you there, give you instructions. If that's your step, if that's what God's calling you to do, follow that calling, listen to his voice today. Maybe there's somebody in the room and you're just, you're battling some things. You're feeling frustrated and convicted because there's things in your life that you're doing that are being driven by not out of calling, not out of compassion, not out of obedience to God, but just to protect your comfort and to keep your life as convenient as possible. If that's you, I want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you to do something inconvenient and uncomfortable. Would you just come kneel around this platform, turn it into an altar? Let me pray for you. Come on. Step out of your seat. Have the courage to walk down here and kneel around this altar not worrying about what other people are thinking, not worrying about what your spouse is thinking about, what, why or what or how. Just come on right now. Some are coming, more need to. Just let me pray for you. That there are times and moments in your life, there's some inconvenient and uncomfortable things maybe that you need to do. And you just need to have the courage to come and seek God. Allow your life to be driven by compassion and calling and not convenience and comfort. If you've got somebody down here that you know or love or if you just feel so led, some of our elders, pastors, leaders, if you want to come lay a hand on somebody, let's pray over these individuals that are here this morning and ask God to just speak to their lives and minister to their hearts. We're just going to cry out to the Lord as a church family this morning. Seek Him and allow him to do what only he can. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you use unexpected times and unexpected things to teach us very necessary lessons. God, thank you that you waste nothing. Thank you that you're a God of second chances. Thank you that you redeem and restore and heal. Thank you that you work all things for the good of those who love you. Thank you for people of courage today that have stepped out, probably inconveniently and uncomfortably, to kneel around this altar to do work, to have conversations with you that are long overdue, And God, for each person knelt around here, Lord, I pray courage for their lives. That whatever inconvenient and uncomfortable thing you're asking of them, Lord, I pray that 
Number one, it would be so clear, undeniably clear, that they wouldn't be able to, to use confusion as an excuse. They, they wouldn't be able to wobble between these things because they, they don't know exactly what you desire for them. But God, you would speak so clearly and so definitely into their hearts and minds that it's overwhelmingly real and clear to them, Lord. And they hear your voice. And God, I pray that you would just have them the courage through the power of your Holy Spirit to tackle whatever it is. To get up from this place in a moment, Lord, and, and go in and, and fight the enemy's schemes and the way he's going to try to put doubt and confusion and frustration. Lord, I pray that they would walk away from this place in a little while determined and empowered and inspired, God, to make the changes in their lives that are necessary to do the hard things that you're calling them to do, Lord. God, we saw that if Jonah had not overcome this, 120,000 people's lives would not have been changed. God, help us not to miss out, Lord, on what you want to do in and through our lives because we made a very dangerous exchange. But God, we celebrate in advance the territory that will be taken, the lives that are going to be changed, all the good and great things that you're going to do as we pursue you and we allow our lives to be driven by calling and compassion. Continue to do work this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together, church. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.